from uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast. This is Alyssa Carroll, and I am your host and the creator of at Serial underscore Killing on Instagram, where we go through the life stories of serial killers to see if we might catch a glimpse of why they displayed their famous vile and disturbing behaviors. This week's podcast will be on Andre Chikatilo. Andre was born on October 16, 1936, in the village of Yablichnoya in the Ukrainian SSR. So, as we do, let's get into some history for that time. Now, guys, the most important part of Andre's story is going to be the terror famine or famine genocide in the Ukraine, often referred to as the Great Famine. Now, this was actually a man-made famine in Soviet Ukraine, and it killed millions. What scholars believed happened was that this famine was planned by Joseph Stalin, the then dictator of the Soviet Union, to get rid of the Ukrainian independence movement and effectively exterminate them. It is believed it was an all-out genocide. You see, when the government controls everything, they giveth, and they most certainly taketh away. During the 1932 harvest, the Soviets were only able to get 4.3 million tons of food, compared to the 7.2 million tons from the year before's harvest. So, food rations were greatly reduced in towns and villages, and over the winter of 1932 to 1933, people were literally starving to death in the streets. And to make matters worse, rations were still slowly being cut. People in cities were being shown propaganda films about how farmers out in the country were stowing away food and not sharing while people who supported socialism were starving. People had no choice but to give up portions of their land and livestock to state-owned farms, and then they themselves would work those farms as day laborers for their, quote, payment. Farmers were deprived of their legally owned property, and many were shipped off or exiled to Siberia with no way to survive. And if someone was caught stealing food, their punishment was anything from 10 years imprisonment to death. If someone was caught trying to escape the zones of famine, they were ordered to be shot on sight. A British journalist who witnessed some of this wrote, quote, At every train station there was a crowd of peasants in rags, 
offering icons and linen in exchange against a loaf of bread. The women were lifting up their infants to the compartment windows, infants pitiful and terrifying with limbs like sticks, puffed bellies, big cadaverous heads lolling on thin necks, unquote. There came reports of mass malnutrition and death from starvation. Then came reports of some towns suffering epidemics of typhus and malaria. There were dead bodies in the streets from starvation, and it gets worse. People started to realize that there were a few families that didn't seem to be starving at all. And as I'm sure you can guess, people resorted to cannibalism. Here is a quote about that time. Quote, survival was a moral as well as a physical struggle. A woman doctor wrote to a friend in June 1933 that she had not yet become a cannibal, but was not sure that I shall not be one by the time my letter reaches you. The good people died first. Those who refused to steal or to prostitute themselves died. Those who gave food to others died. Those who refused to eat corpses died. Those who refused to kill their fellow man died. Parents who resisted cannibalism died before their children did. Unquote. So the government began putting up posters stating, quote, to eat your own children is a barbarian act, unquote. You don't say. More than 2,500 people were convicted of cannibalism during the famine. And when it was all said and done, it was calculated that 6 to 7 million people had starved to death or otherwise died due to this famine in the Soviet republics. The Soviet Union launched a counter-propaganda campaign after foreign people had witnessed this horrific situation, stating that, quote, they had not seen any hunger, unquote. They flat out denied that the famine even took place. This is really the biggest thing that would have affected young Andre's life, despite anything else going on in the world at that time. And I must warn you guys, disclaimer, this one gets pretty sexually explicit and quite graphic. So Andre's parents were Roman and Anna Chikatilo, and I wasn't really able to find a lot of background information or really any at all about his parents. So there are some reports that state Andre was born nearsighted and had hydrocephalus or water on the brain. As we talked about during that time, there was a great famine. There was also a brewing war with Germany. Roman and Anna were both farmhands who worked a government-owned farm, and they lived in a very crude one-room hut. They received zero pay for their work. Rather, they were allowed to use a very small section of land behind their hut to grow their own food. But it wasn't a large enough garden space to grow adequate food to keep them healthy. 
Because their home was so tiny, Andre slept in the same bed with his parents. This became an issue as he grew because he chronically wet the bed and his parents, though they loved him, would belittle, humiliate, and beat him because of it. When he was five years old, his mother told him that he had had an older brother, Stepan, but he was taken by some neighbors when he was just four years old and eaten before Andre was born. And as sad as that is, it was not uncommon during those times. This story would stick with him for the rest of his life. In fact, during Stalin's reign, if one were to see a healthy person walking down the street, it just was, quote, known that they were, in fact, cannibals. There was so little food, Andre's family was forced to eat grass and leaves to keep from starving. He stated that he never even tasted bread until he was 12 years old. Also, when Andre was five, his father Roman was drafted into the Red Army to begin fighting in World War II. Now, his father did not return home for a long period of time because he had been wounded in combat and captured by German soldiers. Back at home, young Andre grew up watching the horrors of the Nazi occupation of Ukraine, seeing bombings and fires and shootings. He and his mother would be forced to hide any place they could find. He and his mother were also forced to stand and watch their tiny home that they shared get burned to the ground. When Andre was eight years old, his mother gave birth to his little sister, Tatiana. Now, since his father had been away at war and was at that time in a Nazi prison, there was just no possible way that Roman was the father during that time, many women were raped by Nazi soldiers, and this was true for Anna as well. Andre knew this because he had most likely been in the room when it happened and could do nothing about it. Now, he was able to go to school for the most part. He wore handmade clothing, his stomach swollen, big and round from hunger. He sometimes fainted at school because of the malnutrition. At this point, he was already forced to wear thick glasses so that he could see far away. And to top it off, he was often bullied. He was described as shy and a bit timid, but he loved to study. At home, his mother berated both him and his little sister, Tatiana later saying Anna was very strict and unforgiving, whereas Roman was patient and kind. Roman did return home at some point, but he was not given any award for his bravery or being injured during combat. In fact, it has been said that he was punished for allowing himself to be captured by the Germans. As Andre got close to his teens, he became passionate about books and easily memorized information. To him, it gave him more confidence in himself and 
felt it gave him more worth. His teachers would go on to say that he was a model student and he was often praised for his work ethic towards school. He was the editor of the school paper at 14 years old and the chairman of the school's Communist Party Committee soon after. He also put together street marches. But once he began to go through puberty, he heard the stories the other boys talked about and realized there was something quite different about him. He was impotent. This did nothing for his self-esteem and awkwardness. So his very first sexual experience was at 15 years old, the girl just 12. He pounced on her, wrestling and holding her down, and the more she struggled, the more he realized he was becoming aroused. The playful violence of the situation then connected itself in his mind with sexual pleasure and he climaxed. From this moment on, he felt that this was the only way he would be able to function sexually. But on a positive note, Andre was the only young man from his village to complete school and graduate in 1954. Andre's entire childhood was wrought with starvation, poverty, ridicule, and war. So let's take a look at that. Andre was supposedly born with hydrocephalus. Hydrocephalus is the buildup of fluid in the ventricles deep within the brain, which can cause pressure on the brain. And while it can happen at any age, it is most common in infants or elderly adults. Surgical intervention has proven to be helpful. In small children, it can cause headaches, blurred vision, abnormally large head, sleepiness, nausea or vomiting, poor appetite, seizures, and get this, urinary incontinence, as we saw with Andre. The effects of starvation in children are intense. It creates what experts call toxic stress, which negatively affects brain development, including limiting cognitive abilities and information processing. There are staggeringly higher incidences of depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts in the children once they hit their teen years and it only gets worse from there. We also know that Andre witnessed terrible violence all around him while he was growing up. Children who grow up in the midst of armed conflict suffer consequences most of us will never be able to understand, and it shows itself in different ways. Fear and terror, anxiety, depression, hopelessness, resentment, anger, physical and sexual exploitation, and many children who have been studied said that they didn't care if they ever grew up. As far as him witnessing his mother being raped, there was a study that examined the traumatic responses of children who witnessed such sexual assaults. These children exhibited PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, disturbances in aggression and sexuality, 
an altered sense of security and vulnerability, low self-esteem, stress within peer relationships, and changes in future orientation. And finally, we know that he had issues with impotency from an early age. While it might seem unlikely that teen boys would have erectile difficulties, it does happen and almost always has a physical cause rather than mental. Teen boys who realize this experience psychological harm that interferes with their sexual function in adulthood. Half of all boys that have ED reported having decreased or absent sex drive, while the rest reported difficulty in achieving an erection or maintaining one. Sometimes it can be treated with hormone therapy or even vascular surgery to help with blood flow. And of course, we all know that there is medication that can help men get an erection, but I don't think this was readily available to Andre at the time. Not seeking help for these boys can result in a buildup of a chronic sense of no sexual self-confidence. Guys, I don't think it's a stretch to see that he was going to have some serious troubles later in life. So let's get back into it. Once Andre graduated from school, he immediately applied for a scholarship at Moscow State University, which included a test. While he did pass the test easily, he was told that his score just wasn't quite high enough to receive the scholarship. He was, of course, completely devastated and suspected the real reason he was not allowed in was due to his father's, quote, tainted war record for being branded a traitor for being captured, unquote. However, it has been found that his grade was actually quite good. It's just that the others that won the scholarship did actually score much higher and it was a highly competitive exam. So he decided to move to the city of Kursk, worked as a laborer, and saved money for a while before starting at a vocational school to become a communications technician. Also during this time, he met a girl there and they began dating. He was quite fond of her, but every time they tried to be intimate, he was unable to perform. After a year and a half, the girl ended the relationship. Now, once he completed his vocational schooling, he moved to Nitsi Tagil and started studying engineering at the Moscow Electrotechnical Institute of Communication. And life was going pretty well for the young man. But two years later, in 1957, he, like his father, was drafted into the Soviet army. He was 21 years old. For two years, he served in the military. In the beginning, he was sent to Central Asia to be a border guard, then was sent to Berlin to be in a KGB communications unit. He was a model soldier and formally joined the Communist Party just before his military career was over in 1960. 
Andre then returned home to the village he had grown up in and quickly began dating another young woman. Unfortunately, he was still dealing with impotence and after a few attempts to be intimate with her, she very innocently asked her friends for advice on how he could get over that. Word spread quickly and nearly all of his peers found out. Andre later spoke of this, saying, quote, Girls were going behind my back, whispering that I was impotent. I was so ashamed. I tried to hang myself. My mother and some young neighbors pulled me out of the noose. Well, I thought no one would want such a shamed man, so I had to run away from there, away from my homeland, unquote. So he moved to Rostov and found employment as a communications engineer, then moved on to the Russian SFSR in 1961 into a small apartment by himself, but conveniently located close to his job. Soon after, Tatiana, his little sister, graduated from school and she moved in with him. They shared the little apartment together in mutual harmony as Tatiana began seeing a young man nearby. His sister later said that living with her brother was great, that he did nothing whatsoever that caught her attention. He was just extremely shy around women, so she made it her job to find him a wife. Once his sister married and moved out, she set him up with a local woman named Feodosia. While he was quite attracted to her, he was still not able to get past his impotence, and yet they still got married. He later said it was basically an arranged marriage, but that they were comfortable together, though having sex was nearly impossible. She was able to get pregnant with his first child by, how do I describe it? Taking care of things himself, then inserting the semen after you get the idea. His wife, though, was a good woman who did not judge his situation. They had a daughter that was born in 1965 and their son, Yuri, in 1969. Andre was 33 years old at this point. Now, he went and enrolled himself at the Rostov University in 1964, where he studied Russian literature and philosophy, and he excelled, earning his degree by 1970. He also got a job overseeing the area's sports activities. Then, after he was done with school, he became a teacher teaching Russian language and literature. He was a well-respected man by any standards, except his students took advantage of his soft nature and the class was very chaotic. The students made fun of him and he could not maintain discipline in his classes. What he did manage to do while being a teacher is commit his first sexual assault. In 1973, at 37 years old, Andre grabbed one of his 15-year-old students and began to fondle her, which made him have an orgasm. 
Not long after, he locked another female student in his classroom and assaulted her. You see, after years of feeling inadequate, the power he felt from their fear was like a drug. He started watching the girls undress in their dorms, and he was not disciplined for these offenses at first. But the sheer number of complaints received by the school prompted the director to tell him that he could either tender his resignation or they'd be forced to fire him. He quietly left and found another teaching post. In September 1978, Andre moved himself and his family to Shakti. A few months later, just before Christmas, he lured nine-year-old Yelena inside an old house that he had bought without his wife knowing. He held her down and tried to rape her, but again, his body would not cooperate. She tried desperately to get away from him, so he began strangling her, and he stabbed her three times in the stomach, except he climaxed while doing so. He then threw her body in the nearby river. Her body was found two days later. Now, this murder had been sloppy, and Andre had left clues. A witness gave a rather detailed description of him to the police, stating that they had seen him talking to her at a bus stop. But, unfortunately, a 25-year-old man with a record of raping and murdering a young teen was arrested. Now, this man did have a good alibi, but the police wouldn't hear of it. He was executed for that murder in 1983. By March 1981, Andre was fired from his next teaching post due to complaints of sexual assault and child molestation against pupils of both sexes. Later that fall, Andre ran into 17-year-old Larissa at a bus stop after leaving the public library. He got her to follow him to a nearby forested area near the Don River by saying he had vodka and that they could drink and relax. He then ripped off her clothes, threw her to the ground, and the girl fought viciously for her life. Andre mashed mud into her mouth to silence her screams. Then he beat and strangled her to death. Not satisfied, but having a knife with him, he bit one of her nipples off and mutilated her with a stick. He then covered her with some leaf litter and left. She was found the next day. In June 1982, Andre took the bus to a different district in Rostov to buy some food. There was a bus change in the middle of his journey, but he decided to walk the rest of the way. He ran into a 13-year-old girl walking along the way. He grabbed her. He dragged her into some undergrowth nearby, ripped off her dress, then slashed and stabbed her 22 times to her death. She was found 15 days later. After this murder, Andre was no longer able to control his urge to kill.
His later victims were anywhere from 9 to 18 years old. He approached the youths at bus stops or train stations and talked them into going with him for whatever reason, straight to their death. One thing to note was that Andre took to mutilating their eye sockets with a knife, sometimes gouging their eyeballs out completely. Each victim he attempted to have sex with, but he just was not able to. Now, in December of 1982, Andre was riding the city bus again when he saw 10-year-old Olga riding the same bus alone on her way to her parents' house. He convinced her to exit the bus with him. He then took her to a cornfield, stabbed her over 50 times, then disemboweled her, including her uterus. This time, a witness on the bus had noticed the middle-aged man taking the young girl off the bus with him. In January 1983, as the authorities came to realize that they most likely had a serial killer on the loose, a police team from Moscow was sent to Rostov to begin an intense investigation. They called it Operation Forest Path. Then in February, little Olga's body was found. It had been there for over two months. And as the investigation went on, Andre took another victim in June 1983, killing a 15-year-old American girl. She had been killed in a similar fashion as the others and left near a railway platform, which is a pattern that Andre would develop. Now, after that, he killed five more people within three months' time, forcing the authorities to address the issue with the public, warning them that a serial killer was among them. At first, the investigators thought that perhaps the victims were being killed so that their organs could be sold on the black market. They also leaned toward a possible satanic cult, or someone in the deep throes of a serious mental illness. And if the offender was a mentally ill person, they were also most likely a pedophile, and therefore all of the records of people who were known to be mentally ill and had a criminal record regarding children were looked at, but most were eliminated as they were researched. What is interesting is that during their investigation, more than a thousand other crimes were solved that included multiple murders, aggravated assaults, hundreds of rapes, and so on. Which is good, but they were still no closer to getting a good suspect, and the bodies were beginning to pile up. The age range broadened. It seemed women of any age or younger males were just not safe. Then in September 1984, Andre was seen talking to a young woman at a bus stop. The detectives followed him and watched him approach woman after woman, rubbing his groin area against them out in the open. At that point, they arrested him and searched him. They found a knife with an eight inch long blade. 
little bits of rope, and a jar of Vaseline. Yes, Vaseline. As they looked into his background, they found out that he had a history of inappropriate sexual behavior and he perfectly matched the description a witness had given when they watched him take little Olga off the bus. They determined his blood type to be type A, whereas the semen samples with the medical examiners was determined to be AB. So they added his name to a list of possible suspects, and then they let him go. In December 1984, Andre began working for a train factory, and he laid low. He didn't kill again for nearly a year. Then in August 1985, while in Moscow, he lured an 18-year-old young lady into some woods where he tied her up, stabbed her 38 times, and then strangled her. A month later, he killed again. The authorities were getting very frustrated, and they gave every piece of information they had to a criminal profiler who said that the perpetrator was between 45 to 50, a recluse who suffered a painful and isolated childhood and was not capable of being successful with women. They also said that he was most likely married with children, was a sadist who was impotent, who could only achieve arousal by inflicting pain on others. They even said that his knife substituted for his penis. Smart. But Andre was keeping track of the case in the news and in the papers, so he stopped killing for a short time again, but was not able to sustain the control. Throughout the rest of the 80s and into 1990, he continued to take life after life, escalating the brutality to dismemberment and beyond. So the detectives decided to send multiple undercover officers to all of the area train stations to watch. And get this, a total of 360 men were deployed to these train stations. Now, Andre, returning from a fresh kill, was seen by an undercover policeman and he was put under surveillance. They watched as he approached women or children, speaking to them, and if they abruptly stopped talking to him, he would move on to the next. They began to talk to his former employers, who told them about why he had been forced to leave the schools. Finally, he was arrested. They accused him of being the Rostov Ripper, but he denied everything. Again, he was caught with this really large knife and rope on his person. They retested his blood and semen type and determined that it was actually a match. Finally, in November 1990, Andre burst into tears and confessed. He also confessed to tasting the blood of his victims. He said the quote, cries, The blood and the agony gave me relaxation and a certain pleasure, unquote. 
He also said that he mangled the eyes because of an old superstition that the image of the murderer would be left in their eyes. He confessed to chewing on a uterus as well as testes. He was charged with 53 murders over his eight-year murder career. He did lead investigators to bodies that had not yet been found. He was questioned by psychiatrists who diagnosed him with borderline personality disorder with sadistic features, but was fit to stand trial. Many times during the trial, he was disruptive, once even pulling his pants down to show the court his penis, stating how it didn't work. Ultimately, he was sentenced to death, and in February 1994, he was executed with a single gunshot behind his right ear. So whatever happened with his children? Well, his son Yuri was actually charged with rape, among other lesser charges at some point. Then in 2009, he was charged again with attempted murder and is still in prison, as far as I could find out. His daughter married, she had children, and never got into any kind of trouble that has ever been known. So guys, here we have a man who was born into abject poverty during a horrific war, where he saw terrible crimes happen right in front of him. I am confident in saying that most everyone listening to this has never had to eat grass and leaves just to stave off starvation. He most likely watched his mother being raped and was powerless to stop it. There were literal cannibals walking the streets. His body betrayed him during a time that is absolutely crucial for boys while they develop their sense of their own bodies and their manhood. We must assume that pride kept him from seeking medical assistance for his issue and instead he gave in to his anger and lust for power and control. I feel though that due to the famine in his area, there were many others that suffered the same as he that did not go on to hurt anyone. But what do you think? Leave me a comment on Instagram at serial underscore killing or YouTube under the same name of this podcast. You can visit my website at serialkilling.squarespace.com and also consider sponsoring the podcast. It takes a lot of time to put these together, but I love it. And thank you so very much for listening. I appreciate every one of you, as I know you could have been listening to anyone else, but you chose me. Thanks and have a great day. Music by Kevin MacLeod on Incompetech.com.